Hello and welcome to Chatting, a podcast where people chat about how they learn and use English. My name is Sam, I'm a CELTA teacher and a performer and I have a particular interest in pronunciation and expression. In each episode, non-native and native speakers will chat about their experiences with English, share their advice and, at the end, I'll give some pronunciation tips for you to take away and practice. So, ready? Let's get chatting. This episode, I'm chatting with Tina. Tina is currently studying for her master's degree in intercultural communication in Helsinki and is one of the hosts of the podcast KYKY and Co. We met online for our chat and for the most part there were no interferences but you might hear a bing from my phone that was not on silent. Ugh, amateur. Never mind. We chatted about being really Essex, what the word culture really means and the ideas of relearning versus learning from new. But I started by asking Tina to tell me a little bit about herself. So yeah, my name is Tina and I currently live in Finland, but I grew up in the UK. Um, we moved there when I was 10. So I actually, I spoke Finnish before I moved there <laughs> as my main language. And then I learned English and, and actually started to speak that as my main language whilst there. So I lived in the UK, was it 14? No, 17 years. Goodness. Um, so a while. <laughs> uh, and then I moved, yeah, moved back to Finland. Uh, and then I had to relearn Finnish um, because it was really rusty from having stopped speaking it when I was 13 and I came back at 27. So it's, uh, it's fine now to most extents, but it's it's been a journey. <laughs> but so. for anybody that doesn't know, uh, are there any links, relations between the language of Finnish and the language of English or are they complete strangers? <laughs> I mean I don't know I guess like if you really looked for it there'd be some maybe tiny links somewhere just accidentally but they're actually from two different branches of the language tree um so uh Finnish is a Finno-Greek language or however you say that and then okay. English is obviously like a Germanic language so mm. they're not at all related <laughs> um so yeah I think Finnish is only similar to Hungarian and Estonian so as a bilingual person then, how would you describe your English? English is my main mother tongue. So I, I do all of the things that, you know, require emotion or, you know, some kind of like a very deep understanding um, or expression of feelings. Um, for example, I do all of that in English. I grew up in Essex. So I, I think it depends on where I am. So when I'm in Essex, I'm quite Essex. Um, <laughs> it's like embarrassingly Essex. Um, but when, it, funnily enough, people in Essex tell me that I sound posh. Uh-huh. But people outside of Essex tell me I sound very Essex. <laughs> so I think, again, it's like very context related. But yeah. um, I, I think I, when I speak with my friends from Essex, I definitely use a lot more colloquialisms. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of words that like I wouldn't normally, sometimes I drop them if I'm, if it's like in the heat of the moment, if I'm very passionately speaking about something, I might sort of drop some words that only really would mean something to somebody from Essex. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I tend to be quite, especially now that I am surrounded by non-English speakers a lot of the time, like non-native uh, English speakers. Mm. Um, I think I try and rein in 
how I speak a lot more. I think I speak a lot more, a little bit slower, but still too fast for most people. And, and I try to not use words that I have to explain um, right. afterwards. So I think there's a lot of kind of underlying information in certain words that you really only understand if you're local using the same language in the same way. Can you think of anything that would mark you out as being Essex? Um, you know, I say that a lot and that annoys people because they're like, I know, I just assume that until I tell you I don't know, I do know. And I'm like, that's, it's a thing that comes with the sentence. I can't help it. Or at the end of the day, uh-huh. that's another thing that I, I feel like everybody in Essex says, at the end of the day, and then oh, like funny. whatever their sentence is. So I'm really interested in this idea of modifications that we make as native speakers yeah. for non-native speakers with English and Finnish not being friends at all. How do you make your decisions, do you think? Um, it, it's really on a case by case basis. I mean, the understanding that people have in Finland of English is, is very high, but I, I kind of try not to use too many really I don't want to say fancy words, but words that like in England wouldn't be maybe so common. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to use kind of a little bit more plain language, but then at the same time, uh, coming from an intercultural communication background, I don't want to adjust my speech too much with an assumption that the other person kind of doesn't understand or wouldn't be able to grasp it. So I, I, I want to, um, I want to kind of try and meet them in the middle in a way. So because I think there's always a possibility if something isn't understood, you can then just clarify it later. So mm. I, I try and not modify it too much. You know, like this, this idea that we speak very slowly or very sort of simplified mm -hmm. um, for the sake of a person who's learning their language. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that's not helpful because they're trying to learn the language and in order to learn the language, they have to hear it in different contexts and in different ways. Yeah. So there's this, having been somebody who has learned, <laughs> you know, like a language from scratch, I know that there's necessity for you to have these uncomfortable situations where you don't really know what's happening, mm. but then you kind of grasp it the more time during that situation. Yeah. So I kind of key to on that edge a little bit um, to try and make sure that I'm not, sort of oversimplifying it for my own convenience yeah um, tell me a little bit about your work then you said uh, intercultural communication intercultural uh, communication tell me tell yeah. me what that's about <laughs> well <laughs> have you got all day yeah I mean <laughs> intercultural communication it's really interesting I've actually done a podcast about this with a, um, a friend of mine who studies it as well and we discussed the fact that um we kind of discuss culture uh, and we do that a lot in in this course that I'm in this master's course um what is culture who kind of defines it how do we talk about it mm. uh and it's kind of interesting because culture is sort of everything everything we do but then it's also nothing at the same time you can't say that this is culture because people do things differently and so you know it, it kind of lives and evolves and changes mm -hmm. so I study that and my focus specifically in, in my master's is on Finnish returnees uh, and their cultural identity. So I'm really interested with these identity layers um, that people have. So for me, that's kind of like quite, quite interesting, especially like linguistic identity as well. Okay. So um, I'm not a linguistic student, but I kind of, it overlaps very much with this cultural identity and, and sense of self as a returnee, I guess. 
So, yeah. I think that's fascinating. So to explore that a bit more then, as a returnee, do you sort of put one aspect of yourself aside to then try and regain what you had before if you're returning to a country? So there's some theories where um, it states that you need to unlearn things in order to be able to learn new things. Okay. I'm not so much of that school of thought. I think we can retain multiple different identities and, and ways of doing things and different understandings. But if we weren't there to learn that to begin with, then we have to learn it. And so for a returnee who's been away, for example, I was away for 17 years, that is something that I I have to learn how to do all kinds of different things in Finland in the way that Finns do them, because I know how they're done in the UK. So I, I grew up doing them there. So for me, it's not so much like relearning something. It's like learning it completely from scratch, because how I learned it isn't how others have learned it in a different place. Okay. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I, I'm kind of adding to what I already know mm-hmm. uh, rather than relearning. So um, yeah, so with language as well, for example, there's been cases where somebody said a word that I've never heard in Finnish and it's not because I forgot it. I never heard it in my right. entire life because it was not relevant um, at the time when we still lived in Finland and it definitely wasn't relevant in the UK. So that just <laughs> bypassed me so it's like these kinds of things in various aspects of of life as a a returnee that you sort of encounter I think it's fascinating because I guess not just learning and relearning but also the way that culture society evolves at quite Mm -hmm. a speed so learning words that you've never heard before it could just be not that you just didn't encounter them or hadn't encountered them to that point but they didn't exist. Yeah it's um it's really interesting because we think often that uh, culture is like this thing that is just in a bubble and we leave it there and we'll come back to it later mm-hmm. but it's it's a living thing and it evolves as we evolve somewhere else and mm-hmm. we come back to it and then all of a sudden we're confused as to why we don't understand stuff it's because it's not how we left it it's not you know uh, it's a living thing um I notice culture as a word so much more mm-hmm. um every everywhere I'm kind of looking at all these diverse and inclusion things online I notice the word culture and and I always have to like decode what does culture mean in that context because for some culture means national culture but then culture is also it's so many things it's it's your socio-economic you know status it's your sexual orientation it's your gender it's all of these things um they are also cultures and so if we're talking about culture as one massive thing that we actually mean something very small it, it, it's easy for it to get lost and for there to be a lot of misunderstandings because the definitions don't match from both sides of the conversation but I, I would say that intercultural communication can happen between anybody because it, it's it's more it's more about person-to-person communication and then sometimes the cultural aspect is important mm-hmm. but mostly it's just communication between people so we kind of look at it from very very different viewpoints is there anything that you would you would improve about your own English now um yeah my well I think my grammar is like I think for an native speaker your grammar could always be better I think because you learn it you know differently to those who learn it as a second language so um so it's you know there's some aspects I could improve but I think definitely the um understanding and being able to explain what sort of certain 
words are like verbs and adjectives. I don't, I don't know these because I just learned the language. Right. And it's really weird when people ask me, oh, so you know these subconjugated things? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't. I have no idea what that is. And, and so people sort of say to me like, oh, is this a, a verb or an adjective or what would you? And I don't know how to explain to them why this is the the rule in the language this just is the rule or this mm. just is the exception I'd like to be able to kind of um really understand that aspect of of English to be able to explain because I am often the go-to person for a lot of people to say hey how do we write this or why do you do it like that and I'm like because yeah. and I totally don't have an answer for them and I would love to be able to do that do you think it's important to know well this is definitely um, a verb and this is what you know I personally don't find that I have a need for it in my life unless somebody else asks me I, I think um I guess it depends on why do you want to know it if that's how you learn if you learn based on these very specific rules and you have to know all the names of stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's really important to know them then <laughs> but um for me I kind of I kind of learn more as I do so I need to be using the language in order to learn the correct or incorrect because I it just I just notice when I hear it it sounds incorrect I can't tell you why it just sounds like it's not a grammatical sentence Mm -hmm. and that's how I learn I just learn from kind of trying and or where even like native speakers make mistakes because I made a point of learning something and then somebody else of course, like as native speakers of any language, we speak how we speak um, and not how it's like officially meant to be spoken because, you know, language just evolves. Yeah. So then I notice even how native speakers sometimes make these sort of normal local errors, mm. if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think for me, just it's not important to to become a native speaker to know those things if if that's kind of the the reason for somebody wanting to learn them most native speakers don't know them (laughs) I would say I would I would argue most native speakers don't know the words for all these things last question then Tina what would be your advice to a learner to help them along their way I would say the more you use the language the easier it is to learn the language Um, and, and be brave because um I notice a lot of times people are are quite scared to speak a language that they're only just starting to learn or that even if they're very very good at the language but they don't assess themselves to be and I think our self-assessment is always lower than our actual abilities a lot Mm. of the times so I would say just be brave what's the worst that's going to happen I mean what's the worst I think that's probably right definitely as Tina said What's the worst that can happen if you speak English? You make a mistake. That's it. No one minds. Be brave. Intercultural communication is such an interesting topic. If you want to learn more, check out Tina's podcast, KYKY and Co. There's a link on Chatting's webpage. So, this episode's pronunciation tip is actually more about vocabulary, the very informal ways we express negatives. Now, I don't want to say incorrect ways because English is a live language and variations become accepted and you will hear them. They can be confusing to learners, but they're easy to understand when you identify them. So, here are the two main ways native speakers use informal negatives in informal conversation. 
Not exclusively these, but these are the ones you will hear more often. First, I ain't going. At first, you think ain't is two words into one. But what is ain? Hmm. Ain't represents I am not, or he, she is not, or you, we, they are not. So it could be he ain't going or we ain't going. To confuse you even more, ain't can also mean haven't in present perfect sentences. So examples of this could be, I ain't taken your book, I haven't taken your book, or they ain't seen her, they haven't seen her. Oof, difficult. But the important thing to remember is that ain't is a very informal negative used only in informal speech. It is never written down. Well, it shouldn't be anyway. Ain't. Is not, are not, am not, or have not. One to think about. Next, double negatives. We learn that two negatives make one positive. So, for example, it's not unreasonable, two negatives, actually means it is reasonable, one positive. But when we want simple negative sentences that express a negative point, we only need one negative. Often I hear, and you may hear, I don't know nothing, which technically means I know something. Confusing, right? Two negatives, don't, nothing. Translation, something, positive. Just remember that English is easy. So if you want to express a negative, Use one negative per sentence. So instead of, I don't know nothing, choose, I don't know anything, option one, or I know nothing, option two. Finally, let's put them together. I ain't got none. First translation, I haven't got none. How many negatives? Two. So second translation, consider, do you have none? Or do you have some? To express that you have none, change the sentence to I haven't got any, option one, or I have none, option two. The more you hear these informal negatives, the easier it will become. Over to you to explore. So there we are. The transcript of this episode is available to read on the podcast's webpage, so take a look. Join me next time for more pronunciation and grammar tips, more advice, and most importantly, more chatting. My thanks again to Tina, and for her music, a massive thanks to the wonderful Mara Carlyle. Bye for now. Bye for now.